What's up, Pastor Tony? What in the world is up, Pastor Chandler? I thought I'd change it up how we normally pray. What's up? That's what I say to students every time I see them. And the same response every time, nothing. That's what they hear. Yeah. What's up, Tony? You'd say nothing. Back in my day, we'd say, What's up, dog? (laughs) That was back in the day. (laughs) All right, we have a big topic to discuss in our doctrine section, so we're going to move to that quickly. But before that, let's talk about New Life News. New Life News. First point of news. Okay. There's only two of us sitting here. I know. Um... Andy Hackle. Call him out by name. Yeah, I had no problem doing that. I love it. He was going to be our special guest. He was the special guest, but apparently he's not. He is, but he's... He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even... He... He is especially our special guest right. today. So we're heartbroken that Andy's not with us. I'm sure you are too, to hear from him, but maybe we could get him on some other time. But last Sunday, we had a vote at New Life. Huge. Um, So why don't you tell those who weren't here what happened? Well, we had a major vote to decide whether we were, the congregation would call Paul Linsmeyer as the executive discipleship pastor at New Life. And what happened? We overwhelmingly voted that Paul, that we would call and ordain Paul Linsmeyer as executive slash discipleship pastor at, at New Life. Are we going to say slash every time we talk about Paul? I think we'll just say Pastor Paul. And so we're going to talk. We're glad that he's coming there in the process of making the transition right now. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you know of a place to live, the Lindsmeyers are looking for a place to rent yeah. up here. My in laws are, they buy properties and rent them. Sweet. Maybe I could talk to them about it. Yeah. Give them a call. Yeah. Although they don't. Are they looking at any properties around here? Maybe. I don't they know. Should. They're always looking. Yeah. Uh, any other news we should cover? We don't have a newsletter in front of us. Would you be <laughs> Would you be praying about the Lindsmeyers wrapping things up in their current situation and that God would continue to lay the groundwork there? It seems like he's making the making this pretty painless transition and uh, but then also as you're praying for him, pray for the new life body and all of the transition that's involved in that and Mm -hmm. that God would supersede and be involved in every element. Absolutely. Uh, Don't miss Sunday morning worship, 930. Be here with your family and friends. And um, this week we're going to study in Philippians. So right on. Oh, uh, here's another little good piece of information. Cecilia Gustafson, who spent a week at Tapestries of Life a few weeks ago, is going to be sharing... Uh, some stories and pictures from her experience down there this year. And she's yeah. gone several times, and so this she's becoming uh, really good at this. Yeah, several people in the body have asked, hey, could, oh, could you share what's, what happened? We want to know how it was. And so this is just a time of uh, where Cecilia can really edify us and encourage us to yeah. be on mission for the Lord. So if you're listening to this podcast, you may need to make up uh, uh, plans about this weekend because when is this discussion taking place? It's going to happen during the meal after the service Sweet. on Sunday. So, so while you're meal and a show, meal and a show, meal and discussion. Yep, good stuff. Cool. Um, should we do any other segments or? Yeah, the most one that comes to my mind is that that one. That one that we're gonna yeah, do? which is can you take it from here? I can. 
I forget what it was. I forgot too, actually. <laughs> New Life Theology. New Life Theology. All right, so we're hopping right into the doctrine section of the podcast. Uh, how far are we in here? We're good. Four minutes. So that it's means we got about 60 minutes to cover. Yeah. yeah, right. Last week we tackled a pretty big topic. Um, maybe not so big as it is. Sometimes everybody has opi- up. Yeah, yeah, lots of opinions yeah. swirling about it. We talked about the gift of tongues and the role of tongues in the church and, and Paul's perspective on tongues. And anyways, so if you missed that, go ahead and go back a week and check it out. It's good stuff. This week, we're going to address maybe a bigger topic as far as in the scholarly world. Yeah, it seems to be um, somewhat kind of a monster Yeah, coming down the pike. Volumes of books have been written on this yep. topic. And today we're going to talk about the new perspectives on Paul. Yep. Uh, we had a question posed to us on what is the new perspective and so that's what we're going to talk about a new perspective you say it sounds new yeah what's up with that what's what what is up with that what do we need a new perspective for and uh this is an important topic and it's really complicated so it's hard to talk about in a a confined time strain that we have but we want to make it as clear as possible for you so that you are in a place where you can rightly divide the word and when you hear hints of something of this nature coming up, you know what we're, what's being discussed and perhaps nudged in a direction of how we need to rightly feel or right. think about these things. And I'll just say right off the bat, the new perspective, it sounds at first like, oh, this is just good historical work. Right. And that's how it comes off. But I think authors disguise some things, and then eventually it affects mainly the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That's, which is not something that is, should be moved lightly. And there are some heavy weights behind this new perspective. There's a reason it's called new perspective. Yeah. But I will say this, brothers and sisters listening, I think there's a tendency in the younger. Um, the younger scene, millennials or even younger, to view some of these things we're going to talk about, and they you may not feel like they're real attractive at first, but um, there's a tendency for them to cling to this. There's almost the desire, and this is probably every generation, to to buck the mainstream thought. And if I have a new idea that's vogue today that is able to stick it to the previous generation i want to embrace it and this is the quintessential Mm. theological sticking it to the previous generation yeah it Um, is and that's pretty general terms but and some of the scholars behind the new perspective are for lack of a better word they're pretty famous they're very famous even in the evangelical world um and it's not that all that they say is wrong right that's what makes it very difficult. Right. Uh, people like Alistair McGrath, McGrath, excuse me, James Dunn, these guys are they've done some really important work in many areas. Right. E.P. Sanders, um, and the most famous of those that are currently working on this uh, perspective is N.T. Wright. Yeah, like just so for example, 
when we talk about James Dunn, I have a book on my shelf called uh, Beginning from Jerusalem about the early church, which is excellent. Yeah. And it, the whole thing is very good. But then years later, he comes out with this new perspective. So it's it's confusing. Yeah. All right, let's stop going around and around. Revolving, and revolving. Yeah. Get into it. So you, why don't you lead the discussion and I'll interject okay. as we go. Let, let me just put some helpful resources out there. So if you're listening to this and at the end you want to have some things maybe to read up on it. Chandler, you have a good uh, volume there. Yeah, I just brought a book with, and it's got a picture of Paul on it. That's oh. him. Um, that Was that taken with a Polaroid? Um, I don't know what cameras they would have used back then. But Box camera, probably. Yeah, some type of stone. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's called Perspectives Old and New on Paul, the Lutheran Paul and His Critics by Stephen Westerholm. And this is a, just a great book huge comprehensive book look, look at it, about yeah. the whole thing um backed by a lot of great uh, scholars who say hey this is the book that we've been waiting for to really clear up the the situation the debate. Yeah. yeah what was the other uh, there's a less intense book that is just straightforward <laughs> called the order of it's called by faith not by sight the order of salvation in paul and it's just you know a little over 100 pages that just kind of show us what Paul thought about salvation and righteousness and justification. Nice. Um, anyways. Sweet. And if you go on the internet and you find your favorite search engine, you type D.A. Carson, New Perspectives, the first thing you'll see is a two-hour video where D.A. Carson also talks about the New Perspectives. And he's friends with a lot of these scholars who, yeah. and so I think he's very gracious in the discussion. Yes. I mean, he's... He's comprehensive and gracious at the same time, maintaining the unity of the faith despite this kind of big issue. Right. So a couple other resources that I'm aware of. These are, some of these predate this whole debate, but Francis Turretin, who is a uh, huge heavyweight in a previous generation, he wrote a book called Justification. It is... Uh, fantastic in having a right understanding of what justification is, which is the heart of the debate that we're about to talk about. John Piper wrote a book called The Future of Justification. There again, you see justification as part of the main scheme. That book was a response to N.T. Wright wrote a book called What St. Paul Really Said. Yeah, which which we're going to be reading some of those texts from that book and a couple others. But R.C. Sproul... Uh, wrote a book called Getting the Gospel Right, and this, I think, as well was a response to some of the new perspective coming out. And then Jonathan Edwards, a pre-this debate. Way before this yeah, debate. Like Francis Turton, is a heavyweight, very good thinker, perhaps the greatest uh, um, uh, thinker in the Americas, um, justification by faith alone. Um, and that is make, makes justification very clear. I love you there, last... Yeah, Chandler's looking at the manuscript here. <laughs> and the last book that you should be reading... Or first. To, to, yeah, right. The last book we're mentioning, but the first of priority, the New Testament. So if you want to know what, what uh, where this perspective may be wrong, just take a look at your New Testament. Yeah, and speaking of the New Testament, where we're going to be studying Philippians this Sunday will be right in line with what we're talking about today. Isn't that how God does that? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Isn't that how God does that? Isn't that how he does it? Okay, so, all right, then I'm sorry, enough background. Let's get into the, the nitty-gritty. So 
it's important as we talk about it to make sure we're not building a straw man. And if you're wondering what's a straw man or a straw man argument, that's where you say the other side believes this and you caricaturize the other side's belief by making it very weak and it's really just a straw man that you can cut down easily. We don't want to create a false impression of what the new perspective is. We want to give you as accurate of a representation as possible. So I feel like taking the actual words of N.T. Wright and exploring what he's saying, and he's using very great sweeping claims in these sentences that we'll bring up. So let, we're going to go through a series of statements, is what I'd like to do, that will illustrate what the new perspective is and how it views justification. So the first thing that I was thinking we should mention is the new perspective rejects the notion that we as followers of Christ take on the righteousness of Christ. So N.T. Wright would say, we don't take on the righteousness of Christ. There's a different thing that's taking place than us inheriting the righteousness of Christ. In fact, he says this, if we use, this is, this is uh, N.T. Wright in what St. Paul really said, if we use the language of the law court, it makes no sense whatever to say that the judge imputes, imparts, bequeaths, conveys, or otherwise transfers his righteousness to either the plaintiff or the defendant. Righteousness is not an object, a substance, or a gas which can be passed across the courtroom. And he goes on in the what St. Paul really said to argue that the issue is not the righteousness of Christ. The issue is you actually take on a righteousness of your own in the long run, which we'll get to some other statements where he's making that very explicit. He would argue that the righteousness of Jesus was not reckoned to us. He says this in a book called justification. It is therefore a straightforward category mistake, however venerable within some reformed traditions, including part of my own, to suppose that Jesus, Jesus excuse me, obeyed the law and so obtained righteousness, which could be reckoned to those who believe in him. It, this is what he says, it is not the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is reckoned to the believer. It is his death and resurrection. So we are merely in Christ in his death and resurrection, not in his righteousness, hmm. which is... It sounds dangerous. It sounds dangerous, yeah. Yeah, I think, first of all, we're forgetting that what Paul has said, it is no, I have died and have been hidden with Christ in God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm -hmm. In the life that I now live, I live by faith. faith. Um, and so the point is that the imputation of Christ's righteousness is the fact that we are in Christ. It's to ignore the, the, the innumerable references to being with and in Christ right. today, right now, in Christ Jesus, which is a, a reckoning of his righteousness. Yeah, like, um, it's just text that come to mind is Romans 3, 21 to 36, Romans 1, 17, 
well, Romans 1, 16 and 17, Philippians 3, 1 to 11, where he talks about, where Paul talks about, my righteousness fails. It's not. It, it but God be. has made his righteousness available through faith in Christ. Yeah. It's, so, it's uh, completely setting aside those texts in order to maintain a funny reading of some obscure texts in Paul. Yeah, right. Or I would even say an obscure reading of obscure texts in Paul. Um, okay, so here, here's where we're g- going to get to some of the root of this. Wright believes that our justification is actually based on our life of works. Hmm. And he would argue that there is, we are we are in one sense justified today by Christ. So, so the question of whether he is uh, proposing a heresy or not is really in how you understand what he's saying. But he would say we're justified in one sense, but in only in order so that we would go through the ultimate uh, justification at the end of our life based upon our life of works. So he says this, the whole point about justification by faith is that it is something which happens in the present time as a proper anticipation of the eventual judgment will be, which will be announced, and then he writes, on the basis of the whole life led mm-hmm. in the future. So the new perspective says that your justification will be based on how you behave in this life. Right. After you come to faith in Christ, then you're, from that moment to the end of your life, the sum of your works will really show, have you been justified? Have you been just, are you, are you justified? Right. Because it's not a past, have you been? It's not a, it's a it's process. A, it's it's something you do. So it's yeah, a, you're actively doing this as someone who's following Jesus. Mm. You justify by your works. Yeah. So E.P. Sanders is, um, I think, Harold as the, the, he coined the phrase new perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and in his work in the 1970s about Paul in Judaism, culture, and Gentile, He said, briefly put, covenantal gnomism is the view that one's place in God's plan is established on the basis of the covenant and that the covenant requires a proper response of man and his obedience to its commandments. And so he's saying, we are saved in the covenant of Christ, but then also in the equation is our obedient response to his commandments. Yeah, You can see how this slope is slippery and attractive, and I think there's been iterations of it in every generation. Like, I want to do something. I will be involved. In salvation. In salvation. It's the Judaizers in that Paul dealt with in Galatians. and It's Judaizers. Um, it's Catholicism reinvented, which is literally what N.T. Wright argues. The, the, the Catholics had it right. So he's telling us what he'll say is that Paul, Luther, Luther read Paul wrong. Correct. And, uh, or he'll say this. I've heard this argued as well. We are misunderstanding Luther. He did not believe what we now believe justification is. Right. Which is crazy. It's crazy. Um, Wright argues that this provides for the evangelical. He, 
kind of sells this whole thing by saying this provides a common ground for evangelicals and Catholics to come together on. It's our it's our works. That's straight straight from right. Um, mm. So, for him, um, sal- salvation, or the theological term that's often used is soteriology. Jesus did not come primary primarily for a soteriological purpose. For salvation. He did not come for salvation purposes primarily, though that may be a result. It's an outcome, yep. He came primarily for what the theological term would be, ecclesiology, the study of the church. He mm-hmm. came for the, um, the, the gnomism that you're talking right. about, the nation of Israel being brought back together. So salvation, as talked about in the New Testament for the new perspective, is not about your justification before God. Right. It's about a covenant community. That's right. It's a and so I mean N.T. Wright will I mean in many places will talk about how this is a community thing. He had a perspective. It was more about the community, not individual salvation. That's right. Um, so he, he even writes this in what Paul, what Saint Paul really said: justification, which is the 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 term in question here. Justification was not so much about soteriology, which is salvation, as it is about ecclesiology, the church. So, And then he clarifies, not so much about salvation as about, as it is about the church. So you begin to see, oh, this is somewhat attractive today because now when I go to church, it's not about my salvation. It's about uh, having a relationship with others mm. and that becomes and my relationship to others and no longer is it really about your relationship with God it's about whether you're accepted in a certain community it's yeah. the national pride yeah and so those who would support the new perspectives would agree that we have they would say we have to understand the pre-christian paul so saul and they would go on to say that um, uh, before his conversion, Paul was zealous for the nation of Israel, not for earning a right a salvation by the law. Um, right. And this is important because if it's true, it means that Paul was not fighting legalism, uh, which he wasn't fighting for a salvation, but he was fighting for the nation of Israel. Right. And so that affects the way the New Perspective views salvation as this is really about covenant belonging. Right. It's not about your rights, moral right standing before God. So he writes this. It must be stressed. And this is, this is over and over again, these, these sweeping claims and very extreme statements. He writes this. It must be stressed again that the doctrine of justification by faith is not what Paul means by the gospel. It is implied by the gospel. When the gospel is proclaimed, people come to faith and so are regarded by God as members of his people. But the gospel is not an account of how people get saved. So the good news of Jesus Christ is not about your salvation. right. And others. For right, yes, sorry, let me make that clear. For right, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is simply uh, 
building the community of God's people. Mm. The variations of this perspective have have sprung up in uh, Mexico under different names, um, in some of the uh, inner city communities where it's more important that you're part of belonging somewhere than it is your eternal standing before God. And the dangerous thing, I think, is that that is part of the gospel. That I mean, Paul says, in Christ there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free, but all are one in Christ. And so there's a community part of it, but I think it's flipping the point. Absolutely. Paul's gospel is we must be made right before God before we have any chance to be in his family or his community. Um, so I think they're flipping. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it comes out also, this comes out in other movements where Gentiles, so if you're not Jew, are saying, you know what, maybe we need to observe the, the Torah, Torah. And we need to be eating not eating certain things and not walking on Saturday. And um, it, This is the same, how right? we are, this is what justification is. We is, respond through obedience. Is, and now we are in that community. That we're in ancient how, Israel now. That's how we commune, right. is by doing these things. And now we're in that community. Douglas Moo is articulating exactly what you're talking about, Chandler. He writes this, Right backgrounds what the New Testament foregrounds, and foregrounds what the New Testament backgrounds. He flips it. He flips it entirely. And I love Douglas Moo. Yeah. Not not least because of his last name. There you go. Sweet. A little chocolate milk doesn't hurt anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Or ice cream. But I've derailed us now. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, so then I want to mention this. So a big question for N.T. Wright is often, how in the world do you reconcile this understanding of justification with a book like Galatians, which seems to be a central book in question in many circles. And I think it has to do with this very topic. And I've heard N.T. Wright in an interview say his epiphany. You know, Luther was reading Romans. He said, on meditating on Romans, that's when I came to faith. Well, N.T. Wright will say similar things. When I was meditating on Galatians and I made this connection, that's when the New Testament was open to me. So Galatians is kind of the centerpiece of the discussion. And so this epiphany that he has, Wright argues... We are misunderstanding Galatians, thinking that it's about salvation. Right. And and Wright would say Galatians has, is 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 not about salvation, which I would encourage you if you're listening to this read Galatians and see if you can figure out how in the world it's not about salvation. But anyway. And on Wednesday night we have a class. Yes, we do. And I would suggest to you join in. Um, the the for Wright, Galatians had to do with the lineage of Israel. Not standing, not their standing with God, but their standing with one another, which is so strange. He says, he says this in his book, Justification. What then are the works of the law by which one cannot be justified? Which is in reference to Galatians. What, are, what then are the works of the law by which one cannot be justified? They are, he says... The living like a Jew of Galatians 2.14. The separation from Gentile sinners of Galatians 2.15. They are not, in other words, the moral good works, which the reformers, reformer tradition loves to hate. They are the things that divide Jew from Gentile. So, in Galatians, 
what Wright is primarily saying it's about are putting aside those things that divide Jew from Gentile. It's merely about a relationship. How do the Jews and Gentiles live together? Yes. That's right. what he says Galatians is about. Yes. And as, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of Romans, because that's a big part of Romans. Mm -hmm. It is a big part of Romans. It's right. not the thing, but, right. you know, so Claudius evicts all the Jews from Rome. While that's happened, all the Jews are gone. Uh, Gentiles are becoming saved in Christ. Then after that, Jews come back to Rome. And so Paul is writing to the Romans, trying to help them understand the Jewish people and the Gentiles. What does it mean to follow Christ? Is it about conforming to the old way? And Gordon <laughs> Fee will say in his commentary on Philippians, he'll say the future or the salvation is not about the past religion. It's about the future in Christ. And so Paul in Romans, and he says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So for Paul, the gospel is not about community first. It's about the individual salvation of our souls. And then that plays into how we live it out. And then verse 17, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. So his point is that because we're individually saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, now we live our lives by faith, not by Torah observance. Right. And um, so anyways, I don't know why I thought about that, but it had to do with what you were talking about. Amen. Well, it's right on. Yeah. The, the irony in all of it is the founding of the church as we know it today was being formed in this, this pot, if you will, of th thinking. But in the, at the end of the day... For example, in the book of Acts at the Jerusalem Council, they concluded that salvation is given apart from the law. Gentiles don't need to join the community of Jews right. in order to be Christian. It's in Paul's, every of Paul's, it's all of Paul's It oozes letters. out yeah. of everything. You are not saved because you are a Jew. Right, absolutely. Or you become a Jew or... So it has nothing to do with standing in, in relationship with Jews except that a byproduct of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, a byproduct, the background understanding is you now have a right relationship with God, which will, of course, be meaning you have a right relationship with Jews, and they cannot condemn you for um, not observing the law, etc., etc. And what I would say is, for Paul, his Jewish heritage and his Jewish identity and his understanding now that he came to know the gospel, had nothing to do with righteousness. Yeah. It was just like, I grow, grew up as a Jew, but that's not what makes me belong to God. Yeah. Only faith in Christ. And so... Carson makes this observation that there are subtle changes of very obvious texts that write makes in order to sustain this claim throughout. And one of those things is in Romans 3... Uh, 21 and 22 it says and this is a key text because of the subject but he says but now the righteousness of god has been manifest manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it paul goes on the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ for all who believe for there's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the mm -hmm. glory of god right. so we are united in that we are all sinners. 
We're not united except in Jesus Christ because now our standing with God has altered, has been changed. But, but right says in those passages where we see the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it should be read the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. So it's not that we have faith in Jesus Christ, it's that Jesus Christ was faithful and therefore we can die and in his death and live in his resurrection. But it isn't the righteousness of Christ that is then imputed to us. So he reinterprets faith in Jesus as something Jesus does, not something that we, right. we do unto him. And that even comes out in what we're going to study on Sunday in Philippians 3. They'll... Um, when Paul says in verse 8 that um, the righteousness of God depends on faith, that new perspectives will say what, what he was talking about is the faith of Jesus. Right. And this is totally backwards. It's backwards. We, we trust Jesus. Faith is kind of a tricky word to, to wrap your mind around, but it's we trust Jesus. Right. It's not that Jesus was, was trusting uh, he was just kind of in chapter two. He, Paul illustrates he was perfectly obedient, right? And he gave his life for us. And then Paul's response is, "I'm going to have faith. My faith is in Christ. I will trust, not in the him. law, right?" And so, and it's it's it's, it's a big dangerous topic. because, as I said, the scholars that write about it uh, write a lot of truth. Mm-hmm. They understand a lot. And they seem very compelling in their very writing. persuasive. N.T. Wright is very persuasive mm-hmm. in his writing. Um, but as we unpack it, we see it flows into really the the antithesis. Effects, right. The five solas, they all get affected right. um, when we start undoing what Paul really said. <laughs> That's a great conclusion <laughs> statement, Paul. Uh, I just called you Paul. Paul. Someday Paul will be here yeah. probably talking on this podcast. But yeah. it'll be a different Paul. That's right. Then we'll have a new conundrum on our hands. Hopefully we cleared up some of the... Yeah. And didn't leave you confused. So in other words, what Christianity really is about, what we believe Christianity is about, is uh, rectifying a sinful man to a perfect God. Absolutely. Therein lies the heart of the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He reached down, rescued us. It is not merely a story of the family of God. And then here we are today. Now we're all one big happy family. Yeah, and the way we re- even the way we respond to the gospel is not even about our obedience. Not at all. Though we will be obedient, the point the response to our salvation, the way we live in God's covenant family is by gaining Christ and knowing him through faith. Amen. That's what the life of Christ. We must yeah, entrust that's what ourselves. It's all about. Yeah, we must entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ. The one who and therefore this this statement that it's ridiculous to imply that God imputes righteousness, the righteousness of Christ upon us. What I would say in conclusion is right is looking at the cross as a stumbling block or foolishness. It's folly to him, which is a sad statement. He does literally think it's folly to believe that we are 
standing in the righteousness of Christ, mm. which is scary. Let's not be dragged away by high-sounding doctrine. Wind of doctrine coming here and there. And, uh, yeah, thanks right. be to God. He's, he's given us his word, which is overwhelmingly clear in these regards. Yeah. As for us, we'll cling to Christ and encourage you to do that as well. Until, Until we, we talk to you again. Blessings. Blessings.